morning. The scripture reading for today is um, 2 Samuel 23, 1-7. This is from the New Living Translation. These are the last words of David. David, the son of Jesse, speaks. David, the man who was raised up so high. David, the man anointed by the God of Jacob. David, the sweet psalmist of Israel. The Spirit of the Lord speaks through me. His words are upon my tongue. The God of Israel spoke. The rock of Israel said to me, The one who rules righteously, who rules in the fear of God, is like the light of morning at sunrise, like a morning without clouds, like the gleaming of the sun on new grass after rain. Is it not my family God has chosen? Yes, he has made an everlasting covenant with me. His agreement is arranged and guaranteed in every detail. He will ensure my safety and success. But the godless are like thorns to be thrown away, for they tear the hand that touches them. One must use iron tools to chop them down. They will be totally consumed by fire. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Carl. Uh, Carl Sandin uh, and his wife have moved from uh, Kamloops. It's good to have you here at TCC. And thank you, Ben, for sharing. Camp Caroline is an awesome place. Uh, we've had 19 junior hires just come back from uh, Camp Caroline, and uh, they tell us what a wonderful experience that they had there. Well, next week, we're moving into uh, Advent. Uh, Next Sunday is the first Sunday of Advent, uh, and then uh, four Sundays in Advent, and then Christmas Day. So we're going to conclude the series uh, today called Core Strength, and then it's Christmas season, and we're excited. Interesting comment this week uh, from uh, Moscow, uh, from the leader of the Russian Orthodox Church, who said on Monday that the world is on the brink of slipping into the abyss of the end of history, according to a state-run news agency. The apocalypse is already visible to the naked eye. Patriarch Kirill told congregants after a service at the Christ the Savior Cathedral in Moscow. He said there could be a saving grace for the world, society uniting. He said today is not the time to rock the boat of human passions. Today is the time to rally all healthy forces. That's why the church, art, culture, our writers, scientists, all those people who love the motherland should come together because we're entering a critical period in human civilization. That was Monday. Thursday, Russian President Putin gave an order to the Russian arms firms to get ready for war, to start ramping up production of ammunition. Crazy, crazy, turbulent world we live in. Our question this morning is, how do we connect with this generation how do we influence our generation for Christ around the world? And I know you believe this. Every individual has a purpose for living. Every one of us. No one God brings to life on this earth 
is insignificant. The tragedy of all tragedies is that we should live and die having never found that purpose, the special God-ordained reason for serving our generation regardless of what country we live in. You have, like no other person on this planet, particular contributions that you are to make to this generation. Can I say that so boldly? You may already have great dreams for your life, and uh, you may already have tried to answer the question, how am I going to serve my generation? Or it may be that you've never really given too much thought to that kind of perspective. I'm sure that God's dreams for our lives are always bigger than we, we dream ourselves. Whatever it is that God is calling you toward, you are to discover that and carry it out. And then when your twilight years come and your life is ended, you can be satisfied that you have served God's purpose with your life. A couple of years ago, a wonderful lady, 91 years old, uh, wanted me to come to visit her in the hospital. She only had a very short time left on the on this earth, and she knew it. Uh, and we talked about her life, and she was very eager to talk about her passing. She was so excited to meet Jesus and to be with him, absolutely ready to go. I've never met anyone so excited just to go home because sometimes there's just such a tension there. But she was so excited to go home. And uh, she asked me if I would do her funeral service. And, of course, I said yes. And uh, when I'm asked to do a memorial service or a funeral service, my starting point is to see what I know about the person that has died or is about to die. What is the theme of their life? In her case, I knew immediately her theme. I've never told anyone before what I'm going to say at their funeral, but in this case, I thought I would tell her. I said, I want to characterize your life as purposeful, and I want to speak on the theme of living our days with intentionality, with purposeful intentionality as you have done all of your life. <coughs> because I see that you've lived that way. She said, you know, I haven't cried much. I've been okay. I haven't cried much, but that makes me cry. She has done a good job. So when the twilight years come and her life is ended, she could be satisfied that she had served God's purpose with her life. So just to help us along with that trajectory this, this morning, I want us to think about what God said to David. Listen to these words. He said, I took you from tending sheep in the pasture and selected you to be the leader of my people, Israel. <clears throat> I have been with you wherever you've gone, and I have destroyed all your enemies before your eyes. I will give you rest from all your enemies, for when you die and are buried with your ancestors, I will raise up one of your descendants, your own offspring, and I will make his kingdom strong. How do you have a life that impacts this generation? What does it look like? Where, where do I begin? And I know that every life is different. And that we will all make unique contributions 
by the grace of God, according to how God has gifted us, according to how God has fueled us with kingdom passions. So we're all different. We all have hearts for something that's a little bit different in the kingdom, and I really get that. But I'd like us to see something that maybe we all have in common uh, in terms of how we influence our generation. Where do we start? Number one, cultivating a heart for God. By cultivating a heart for God. Interesting how much meaning the word heart has come to have. We say somebody's really good at heart. Or we learn things by heart. Or we get things heart, we get into things heart and soul. Or if we want to have a little compassion from somebody, we say, oh, come on, have a heart. Or if we feel pretty deeply attached to something, we might hum a few bars of, I left my heart in San Francisco. Or if a friend is unnerved about something, we encourage him to set his heart at rest. Or if we have a tremendous desire to achieve a certain goal, we set our hearts on it. And when we take something very seriously, we take it to heart. So many nuances of the word. Here's another one. <coughs> Excuse me. God wants us to cultivate our hearts as we follow him. He wants to plow up our hearts. He wants to cultivate it. He wants to nurture it. He wants to shape it. He wants to form it. He wants to cultivate our hearts as we follow him. And that's his mission in us. That's his mission throughout all the years of our life is to keep cultivating our hearts. And it's also the first step in preparing us to impact our generation. David was born about 10 years after King uh, after Saul became king. He was born into a generation, <coughs> excuse me, it was one of those weeks that a cold came about Tuesday, and it is just going out the door today, but it's not quite out. Uh, the people of Israel were drifting. Saul, Saul is, is on his way out. He's drifting. This one humble, once humble king is no longer humble. <coughs> Excuse me. And Samuel the prophet says to King Saul, Your kingdom shall not endure. The Lord has sought out for himself a man after his own heart. In other words, you're done. Another man will be chosen, although it took a considerable length of time for that to happen. But the prophet said to Saul, God has sought out for himself a man after his own heart. And those became the defining words for David. He was to become a man after God's heart. We live in challenging times, don't we? This fall seems to be extraordinary in the amount of global catastrophes as well as in political attention, uh, attention across the world. Sometimes it feels overwhelming. And perhaps add to that some personal crises in your own life, and these become very challenging, challenging days. It was equally true in David's time. There was crisis all around. Israel was struggling to survive the constant threat of her enemies. And nothing has changed through the centuries. 
However, the sense of crisis and unpredictability of the times we live in can present an opportunity. There's a word in Greek called kairos. The word actually means time. There's another word in, in Greek, that pranos, which means time, sequential time. But kairos is a special word because it, it, means, uh, it can mean a moment in time where we seize the opportunity. It might be a crisis, but in the midst of the crisis, there follows an opportunity. Uh, God needed someone to lead his people who had the Father's heart. And it was going to take a crisis for God to bring all of that about. Now, God invites every one of us to a cause greater than ourselves, that of impacting our generation. Uh, in 2017, it's a new day. Um, it's, a, it's a changing world. It is a culture today that is undergoing seismic turbulence. And God has us on the scene. He ordained it that in 2017, it would be people like you and me that would be on the planet and that we would face this turbulence together. He has you on the scene. He has you on your block. He has you in your school. He has you at your office. He has you at your business. He has you at your YMCA. And for us as a church, a church that is longing to impact our generation, we are incredibly blessed to be here, to be the church in the center of town like years ago. It's inspiring to be together as a body, continuing to hear our call to this community, and always mindful that we are about our Father's heart. Even when a thousand people are coming to winter delight like last night. That's why we're here. We are about our Father's heart. So we're about having the Father's heart, having hearts that follow the heart of God. You must not get the idea, as we talk about David, that he was some superhuman man. He wasn't. We look up to him, but he was very human. He made lots of mistakes. He was far from perfect. And that, too, is comforting. What did David see in, what did God see in David that he loved? Because that's the question that we should be asking. What does he see in us that he loves? What did God see in David that he loved? He saw, first of all, a sensitive heart. He was tuned in to God, and somehow David was just really connected with God. He came to really value God in his life. And the relationship became natural and meaningful. And as David got to know God, he only wanted to please him. There were no locked doors. There were no hidden closets in his life. There was nothing that was swept under the rugs. He, was, he, he, he had a sensitive heart. And when he heard God say, go this direction, he did it. And when God said, now it's time to go this direction, he did it. And perhaps that's a place for us to start or continue cultivating our hearts for God. Sensitivity. God, just be at home in my heart. Just be at home in my heart. Just everything is yours. I want my life to be natural and genuine as I walk with you. 
I don't want to compartmentalize as, well, this Sunday, that's your day, God, but the rest of the week is my day. I'll live it the way I want. All of life is under his sovereign umbrella. What did David, what did God see in David's heart? He saw a sensitive heart. Maybe just a good day again to say, Lord, just be at home in my heart. Just take everything. Just be at home. Be, be the Lord. Be the leader of my life. Secondly, God looked at David's heart and he saw humility. He saw humility. It's quite a story, isn't it, of God being on a surveillance mission. Does the PowerPoint come up there? Uh, maybe that's not on. Oh, it's not working. Okay. Uh, it's, it's quite a story of God being on a surveillance mission in the home of Jesse. Um, God rejected all of the other sons, young men, uh, that they might fit, that might fit the bill, kind of tall, dark, and handsome guys. But in reality, God chooses the young guy that didn't even get called to the meeting. David is out in the field tending the sheep. But the Lord saw in David a heart that was completely his. Uh, the boy was faithfully keeping his father's sheep. God saw humility. He saw a servant heart. And Psalm 78, 70 says, He, God, also chose David his servant and took him from the sheepfolds. It's as if God says, I don't care about all that slick public image business. Show me a person who has the right heart and is humble and I will give you the image that he needs or she needs for the world. So is the person a servant in their heart, humble and authentic? If I want to influence my generation, it starts with humility. Lord, I don't stand above my generation. I don't condemn it. I don't think I'm better than my generation. I don't stand under it. I mean, it is filled with sadness and tragedy and distortions of God's intent. But I come alongside of my generation to serve them. How can I serve this generation? How can I serve my neighbor? How can I serve my family? What do we do as TCC to become servants to our community? God looked at David out in the fields in the foothills surrounding Bethlehem, keeping his father's sheep, faithfully doing his job, and God passes his approval on this young man. And you know, a servant doesn't really care who gets the glory. A servant just has one goal, and that's to make the person he serves look better, to make that person even more successful. A servant doesn't want uh, the person that he serves to fail. He doesn't care who gets the glory, just so the job gets done. So while David's brothers were off in the army fighting big, impressive battles, David was all alone keeping the sheep. And he was okay with that. He had a servant's heart, but God was training him. This is a reminder this morning of servanthood. How does God want you to be a servant? And if you will serve wherever God wants you to, and if your heart is humble... It's a wonderful place for God to meet you and to grow you and to lead you into your journey towards a purposeful, generation-impacting life. And how did God help cultivate David's heart? Secondly, he put him in a place, he put him in a place of solitude. 
He put him in a place of solitude. He had the perfect job out in a lonely field caring for his sheep. And David needed to learn life's major lessons all alone before he could be trusted with responsibilities in the public sector. If you read the accounts of the Apostle Paul, he had some pretty significant desert times as well before he came into public ministry. There's something about solitude that is so good for us. Usually we have such incredible noise all around us. Solitude is usually one of the teachers that God uses for us. If you say it's, fi- it's hard to find solitude in my life, I would tend to agree. It takes a whole lot of intentionality to find space where you can be alone, where you can listen, where you can slow the RPMs. Solitude is a place where the voice of God becomes clearer. Can you find a place, can you find a time to begin to carve out some solitude so you can better hear the voice of God? Secondly, he put him in a place of obscurity. Sometimes God trains us when we're out of the limelight so we can handle the limelight should it come our way. And men and women of God, servant leaders in the making, are often raised up in unknown places. They're unseen, they're unappreciated, they're unapplauded. I mean, maybe some of you have been going through a bit of a desert yourself. And you can see it as a time when you're being trained. This is valuable time. It's not just a time to get through, but it's a valuable time in the formation of God's heart and his life in in you. Maybe you're in a place of obscurity right now. You wonder, where in the world is my life going? It can be a good place to be, or it can be an obscure place. But here is a place to say, God, train me, prepare me, use me. Use this time in my life. This is what I need to do. This is what I need to receive the feedback that comes through obscurity. There are things here that God wants to teach me. Thirdly, he put him in a place of routine. Now, that's where we often learn to be men and women who seek after God's heart. There aren't a lot of shiny buttons to admire It's simply the same old, same old, same old, day in and day out. And that was David's life. He was faithful in what was on his plate, day after day, looking after the same old sheep. I was walking early one morning in the summertime, and uh, I came to this pond, and there was a beautiful white swan there. There were other ducks around. And I came by the next day, early in the morning, and the swan was still there. And I thought, what a faithful bird. It is just committed to this place, probably kind of a protector to the other little ducks around. And I came back the next morning, and the white swan was still there. And I was amazed. That swan is so committed. There she is again. So I decided to talk to her. It's early in the morning. There's no one around. They won't think maybe this guy needs a little help. He's talking to the birds. And I just began to talk to her. And there was no response. 
voice waved, hello, hello, hello. And uh, then to my great embarrassment, I realized that I've been duped. This is not a real swan. This is a decoy. I went, hello, 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 hello. And I realized, you are not a faithful swan at all. You have no idea that I'm here. Every day, she did the same thing, routine. And I was so impressed with it. I thought, you're amazing. Now, if she had been real, I wanted to compliment her. I wanted to say how committed you are to your situation. But if God has you in the seemingly menial, insignificant, routine, unexciting, uneventful, daily tasks of life, it may be, in the end, extremely valuable. You are not a decoy. You are the real thing. And this is astounding training, the routine. Don't despise it. It's like, let's get this done so we can get on to the real thing. I've often heard it said about parent, uh, pilots that flying is nothing more than hours and hours and hours of monotony punctuated by a few seconds of sheer panic. <laughs> and, uh, but the monotony is pretty important to know how to handle the few seconds of sheer panic. God trains us through being faithful, just constant, endless hours of tired routine as you learn to be a man or woman of God with nobody else around, nobody else notices, and perhaps nobody else even cares. Maybe you are in a place of routine right now. Just stay faithful. Just stay open. Just trust God for his timing. Fourthly, he put him in a place of reality. Where does God have you these days in the heart preparation process? Uh, you may feel like you're out in the pasture. You may feel like you're out in left field somewhere. But it's not a bad place to be if God is working on your heart. It's not a bad place to be if, if you're listening to his voice. And sometimes we don't even, even realize that God has us on hold. And maybe the dreams we have for our lives, they don't get fulfilled instantly. God gives you a dream on one day, but he doesn't fulfill it the next day. One day, David's father, Jesse, sent him on a little assignment to take some food to his three brothers who were fighting in the Israeli army against the Philistines. And Goliath is the Philistine champion. And he's an imposing man, if you ever saw one. He's over nine feet tall. Uh, he's huge. He's, uh, he's Goliath from Gath. And he's a shouter. He shouted every morning for 40 mornings. This huge giant bellowed across the canyon every day. Choose one man to come down and fight me. If he kills me, then we will be your slaves. But if I kill him, then you will be our slaves. He said, I defy the armies of Israel today. Of course, that wrecked the day for King Saul and his whole army. He'd wrecked every day. They heard this for 40 days. And every day they shook in their boots at the thought of anyone fighting Goliath. David had no idea that this particular morning his life would be impacted forever. He just went to deliver some bagels to his brothers. But in the process, 
he heard the shout of the giant. And honestly, it surprised him that everyone was so intimidated by that shout. It was his first time to hear the shout. It was his first time to, to hear the accusation against the armies of Israel. And it made David mad. It made him say in his heart, who does this big bully think he is? He can't talk about God that way. Not our God. He can't talk about our nation that way. We are God's people. I guess you can, you can never predict a day. I mean, they all look pretty ordinary until one day you find yourself in the middle of something you didn't ask for. And for David, it changed the trajectory of his life. And you know the story of how David took out this giant. Goliath was no big deal. Why? Because David had been killing lions and bears while nobody was around. He'd been facing reality long before he squared off against Goliath. It was only because of David coming to know the father's heart that he was able to handle the pressure situations of his day. Real pressures, intimidation, giants in your life. How are they handled? They're handled through the cultivation of your heart. They're handled through sensitivity. They're handled through humility. And sometimes obscurity. And sometimes routine. And sometimes solitude. All of this is part of the formation process as God helps fashion our hearts to be those that look something like his in order to impact our generation. Now let's just fast forward this real quickly to the twilight years. Did I mention that every individual has a purpose for living? Every one of us. It is clear that David had a great purpose. But let me just swoosh you to the closing days in David's life. It's in 1 Chronicles uh, 28, probably verses 7 and 8. And David is reflecting on a full life, a very full life. What does he think about? What do you think about when you come to the end of your life? He thinks about what God allowed him to do and what God allowed him to, to have part of his journey. And he reflects upon those things that God blessed him with. And then he reflects upon something that he wasn't able to do. And then he thinks about impacting his generation. And I think it's all pretty normal, the things that came to his mind. And he has a little talk with his leadership. And he invites them to gather around and he wants to talk to them. And he stands to his feet. He's probably very wobbly at, at this point in his life. And he says, it was my desire to build a temple where the Ark of the Lord's Covenant, God's footstool, could rest permanently. I made the necessary preparations for it, but God said to me, you must not build a temple to honor my name, for you are a warrior and have shed much blood. God said, no, you can't build the temple. I think David was very disappointed. But then he was gratified to know that his son would be the one to build it. But listen to what he says in the next verse. Yet the Lord, the God of Israel, has chosen me from among all my father's family to be king over Israel forever. Now what's David doing here? He's focusing on what God 
did allow him to do. It is so easy for us to be disappointed, to get distraught over a frustrated desire that we forget the things that God has given us. The good things that he has accomplished through our efforts and through our hands. And during the closing years and days of his life, David didn't focus on what didn't happen. He focused on the good things that God had given to him. Whatever it is now that's going on in your life, you may realize that maybe there's something that's a dream that's not going to happen. And maybe it's a hard pill to swallow. But like David, find satisfaction in what God is allowing you to do now and what he has called you to do. And David basically says, I just want to give thanks to God. I want to give thanks to God for all the things that came my way. I choose to focus on that. Uh, not, not the one thing that I couldn't be part of. You see, we, we can live the last years of our life swamped by guilt or overwhelmed by failures of the past. We can let that destroy us or we can say, by the grace of God, I receive what he's allowed me to be part of. Now, can I conclude where I started? Every individual has a purpose for living. Every one of us. You have, like no other person on this planet, particular contributions that you are to make to this generation. Where do you start? Where do you live out of? Out of a heart that is growing in likeness to God's heart. So would you just remain seated and would you bow with me? Let's just take a moment to breathe in some of David's experiences and make them our own. And perhaps this morning, just in a, in a posture of reception, we just close our eyes and just open our palms to him and just say to him, Lord, is there something here this morning that you want to say to me personally? I'm open to receive that. And just ask him to bring it to your heart. It might be very obvious for you. Lord, there's something you want me to hear this morning that will adjust the way I live. Lord, your heart is to love every man, woman, and child. And you want to use us to convey that love to this world, to our generation. But we want to fulfill the purpose for which we've been created. Show us your way.